As things change, other things stay the same, like Ohio Lottery scratch-offs, from small tickets to big tickets, from bright colors to flashy themes. There's something for everyone. Big wins make big stories, but it's the millions of small wins every day that make life-changing memories. And your biggest win will come by following the state-recommended safety protocols during this special holiday season. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Shop amazing specials now while supplies last at Macy's Gifts You'll Love to Give sale. Like great deals on coats for him and her from Calvin Klein, Ann Klein, and more top designers. Just $100 and under. Save big on handbags and wallets, now 40% off. And create a cozy retreat at home with 70% off warm throws and flannel bedding from Martha Stewart Collection. Now through Thursday at Macy's. Plus, get $10 in Macy's money for every $50 spent. Up to $40 Macy's money. Hello everyone and welcome to the Jada G Show. Unfortunately, not every community on Long Island is like that. Hempstead, Long Island is a town with hardworking people who are struggling sometimes to make ends meet, but want to go in a mobily upward way. However, there are many problems that relate our, our town, and one of them happens to be violence in the streets. Today we're going to be talking with some families who have lost loved ones due to the violence in the street, and hopefully we can help heal our town, heal our community, and heal Long Island. So. Come with me today as we go to our first guest. My first guest today is Shayla Ford, who is a resident of Hempstead. And Shayla's story is a little bit more, I would say, more dear to my heart because Shayla is also my down-the-hall neighbor. So I've seen Shayla and her family since she grew up, as well as her brother, Quavis Ford, whose life was taken in the streets of Hempstead due to an act of violence. So, Shayla, I'm glad that you can be here. I thank you so much for coming. I know how hard and difficult this is, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Oh, of course. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit about Quavis. Where are you from? Because you guys are originally from Hempstead. Um, we're originally from Mullen, South Carolina. Oh, ooh, South Kakalaki up in that house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were from down south. When did you guys move to Hempstead? In 2004. And about how old were you? Um, I was, what, I think, 12. 12. And are you the oldest of your um, brother? Um, I have an older sister, and it was me, then my brother, he was the baby. And he was the only boy as well? Yes. Mm. Um, growing up, where did you, when you moved to Hempstead, what part of Hempstead did you move to? Hempstead, on Terrace Avenue. Terrace Avenue, Terra. 
I'm from Terrace Avenue. There's a lot of good people who come from Terrace Avenue. Let me be Oh, y'all can't see them right now, but my production crew is from Terrace Avenue, so I know good things come from Terrace So, when you first came to Terrace from the South, was that like a big change for you guys? Yes, a whole big change. Especially for your brother, I'm going to assume. Yes. Um, when your brother was growing up, what were some of the things that you two liked to do together the most? Um, just play video games. Play basketball. Just talk. What were some of his hobbies that he loved to do? Um, he liked to play basketball a lot. Was he a and good basket? Was he a good basketball player? Yeah, he was. He was alright. <laughs> <laughs> and then he liked to rap. Rap? Mm -hmm. Was he pursuing his musical career? He was. Yes, I should say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I want you to tell me about the day that your life changed. How did it start off that day? Um, it was December the eighth. Um, we woke up. We had a we had a conversation, and then like two hours later, someone came knocking on the door saying that he got shot. And ever since then, my life just been really crazy. So when you first heard that he was shot. Did you know that it was something that was fatal, or did you just think that it was something that would wasn't really that serious? I thought it wasn't nothing that serious, you know. I guess I Since your brother Quavis has been gone, how have you felt? Alone, because he was my best friend. I know how that must feel. I can only imagine. I mean, I have a brother, and I couldn't even imagine. He's in North Carolina, and for him being away from me, that hurts. So I know that it hurts not being able to see him. How did it make you feel knowing that someone was just reckless enough to take his life, that person who hurt, who killed your brother? He had no heart. He had nothing better to do. Since that time, has your brother's killer been brought to justice? Yes. And how long has he been sentenced to? Um, he had 25 delays. 25 delays. I know that that could never bring him back, but did getting some sort of justice, did that give you a little bit of peace inside? A little bit of peace. Yeah. I know that he had peace. Yeah. And I know that he's looking down at you. I mean, knowing him personally, um, I know that he's looking down on you and he's watching you with that big smile that Clavis will always have opening the door. And he loves you, you know, and that's one of the things about death. There's no bond that can be broken even by death because love always avails, always. So that, that's something that, um, how have you been coping? How did you, I mean, I don't think you can ever, losing my parents, so I know what it's like, even though they weren't taken violently, mm -hmm. I know what that's like. 
and it's a wound that never heals, but it gets easier to bear. So how have you coped with that? Sometimes I listen to his music or I just go on Facebook, post pictures and write things. And then sometimes I now just cry. Now I know that you have two young sons. How has it affected their lives since their uncle passed? Badly because that was their best friend too. What do you feel about the community where we live in Hempstead, especially being that you're not from there as a native? How do you feel about the community as a whole? It's terrible. I think someone needs to do something about the violence. I believe that too. What is one thing that, even in your pain, even in your not having him, what is that one thing that you remember about your brother that makes you smile, that makes you happy? Him walking in and out the house a thousand times a day. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and I know you're not lying because I used to see him a thousand times a day in and out the... And one of the things that I've always told your mother and I've always told you, people make a lot of assumptions about people and things that happen, but a good character overrides everything. And your brother had good yeah. character. Yeah. He was a good character. One last question before we close. What would you want the world to know about your brother? My brother, he was a loving person, caring. He helped anybody and that I meant to my life, me and his nephews. Well, I thank you for coming on today. I know how difficult it was. your brother Terrence. What was the nickname that you guys affectionately called him? Uh, well, we call him TJ. TJ. Yeah. Because he's a junior. <laughs> okay. And was this your older brother or your younger brother? He was my younger brother. He was your younger brother? Yeah. Um, tell me, how was your brother growing up? How was, What were you and your brother relationship like growing up? TJ, he was just a character all the time. Always making jokes, always making everybody laugh. Um, he was the clown of the family. He was the definitely the clown of the family. Like, <laughs> everybody got one. Like, he was my baby. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand. Like he was my baby, my baby brother. Yeah. So, how old was TJ when he was taken from you? He was seventeen. He was a baby. Yeah, that's a baby. Seventeen years old. I I can't even imagine that. Um. Tell me, what was that day like when, what, did it, what was it like when the day started, when you lost your brother? Well, I was out shopping, literally, all day, all day shopping. I stopped to um, clean out my car, and then I got a phone call from my aunt. 
When you got the phone call, what did they tell you? My aunt was crying on the phone, so my first thing was I was going to have to get on the parkway and go out to her house. She lives in Deer Park. Mm -hmm. So she's crying and she's telling me, Katima, just check on your brother. Somebody told me he got cut. He got cut in the throat. Wow. So you come and you go to the hospital, I'm assuming? Um, I was actually on Bowling Road on my way to my friend's house. I just reared off to the left and sped to the scene where they said he was at. By the time I got there, it was a whole crowd of people and the ambulance had just took it. He had, they just took my brother. I literally just missed him. When I got out of the car, I was asking everybody what was going on because I was just thinking, you know, the kids, they were just out fighting or whatever the case was. But um, when I actually got to the scene, people were running, hysterically crying. Like they just took him, they just took him. My first instinct was to jump in my car and follow the ambulance. Mm -hmm. And so you go to the hospital, you're um, imagine praying that everything is gonna be okay. And you yes. get to the hospital and what happens? Um, we're at the hospital and we're just sitting in the waiting room. And the lady kept telling my mom like she couldn't go back there. My mom wanted to go back there because my mom actually saw my brother laying on the ground. Mm -mm -mm. I literally just missed it. Something that a parent should never have to see yeah. with their child. So the whole time I'm in the waiting room, I'm comforting my mom, telling her it's going to be okay. Like, we're praying, you know, hoping everything's going to be okay. And my mom just told me flat out, you guys keep saying that he's going to be okay, but y'all didn't see him. I saw my son. So your mom knew? Yeah. She mm -hmm. said she knew from when he was laying there and his eyes began to roll in the back of his head. You're a mother and I'm a mother too. It's that in the in inside of you, you know about your baby. Yeah. Since your brother has passed away, how do you feel? Sometimes um, I'm okay. Sometimes I feel lost. Like every day is a challenge because I don't have him. I'm, I, I'm so used to picking up the phone calling him and being the annoying big sister and you know seeing him with his friends and asking him what he's doing is every day is a challenge for me i would imagine so what do you miss the most about tj bothering him <laughs> 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 i miss like everything, when he used to call me at 11 o'clock and say, 15, I'm coming to your house, leave the door unlocked. And I always used to give him a big old wrath about, I'm not leaving my door unlocked, just not going to do it. And then when he finally gets to my house, I have an attitude because I have to get out the bed and open the door for him. <laughs> <laughs> what is the one thing that you left unsaid to your brother that you wish you could have said? Um... I just wish I would have told him I loved him because earlier that day we were talking and and um, we were talking text via text message and I was bothering him of course and I'm like well what are you doing at work on Friday I thought you didn't work Friday so he was like yeah but I didn't come in Monday and I was like all right I'll see you later I just felt like at that moment I should have told him I loved him. And I think that's a lesson that most of us can attest to. The things that we leave unsaid and tomorrow is never promised. 
So that's the one thing I, I hope and pray that anyone would get from your story and Shayla's as well is that don't leave off without telling someone you love them. I love you because you never know if you get that chance again. So. What is the one thing that helps you get through this? How are you coping? What helps you cope with your brother's death? Um, for the most part, I just try to stay positive, um, do things with my kids. Um, I used to think, like, when everything first happened, I'm like, this is just a moment for everybody. And this is something that my family's going to have to deal with for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And I just felt like, you know, everybody's saying rest in peace to him and everybody's supposed to put this down for the moment. But every day, if I'm on Facebook or Instagram, somebody is still mourning the same way me and my family is mourning. And just to know that he has not been forgot about. Nobody has forgotten about him. Yes. So that gives you some silence. That gives me some peace sometimes. Before closing, what is the what do you want the world to know about your brother TJ? He was a, a great person overall. Overall, he can walk in a room and brighten it up all the time. He was just a pleasure to be around. Not just for my family, but for everybody. His death just didn't affect my family. His death affected a whole community. And, like, his, his so many of his friends have gotten rest in peace tattoos for him. Um, they still come by my mom's house to check on her. They hit me up. Facebook to check on me, like that helps me get through the day for the most part. Well, I'm very happy that you came with Thank to you John Oh, absolutely, to share your story with the world and to know that your brother memory it lives on because love lives on. And thank you for coming. Thank you. <laughs> So that was, you, you can talk back to, to mommy, but you didn't talk back to grandma. That's right, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, also, 
I would like to know from your point of view, do you think that there's a lack of respect between the generation of now and the generation of yesterday? I think more it's not a lack of respect, it's a lack of teaching. Because yeah. if we don't teach them how to be men, how will they learn? You know, I learned from watching my father. Um, so where do you think the breakdown occurred? You said one of the key points you just mentioned is you watched your father. However, a lot of people and a lot of young men in this um, community, they don't have their dads. So where can they go to to get that guidance, that need, that example? You can go to, you know, so many different factors in the village that we have. You don't, I don't have to be your biological father to care about you. You have pastors in the community. You have firemen in the community. You have police officers. Everybody's not a bad person. Mm-hmm. And if everybody just does this much, I think this village can turn back around. Absolutely. One of the things that I have noticed in the community as well is that there doesn't seem to be a, a respect for authority figures mm-hmm. right now. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, the problem is what they see on TV. The TV, the news media, they only show the negative. They never show when the cop comes and gives the kid a dollar to buy ice cream. They never show when the fire department comes to the house and does fire prevention in the house. They never show when the pastor is out feeding the people. Mm-hmm. We don't see these things. All we see is negative. So once you surround yourself with negative, there becomes no positive. Yes, I totally agree with that. Now, one of the things that I was privy to know is that you are a Hempstead Public School hopeful candidate. So what are you, you going to bring to the table to help heal our school system that other candidates have not done in the past? Well, once again, you said about a lot of families not having that father figure. I am a father figure, and I don't care whose child it is, white, black, green, whatever they are. I will chastise your child, and at the same time, I'm going to show them that love that they might be lacking at home. Yes. I believe that's something that's definitely you know, growing up to concur with what you said. I didn't just get reprimanded from my mother. And as a matter of fact, if somebody had to reprimand me before I got home to my mother, I was going to get in extra trouble. So I definitely believe that that's something that we're lacking in this community. It takes a village to raise a child, and I'm very glad that you are part of our village, sir. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> You are the leader of the New Vision Temple Church here in Hempstead, and I've also had the liberty of knowing you for many, many years. So I want to first get to know from you, what is the role of the church in the community? The role of the church in the community is to, number one, bring people together um, and to really mobilize um, people concerning um, some issues that we're having within the community, such as violence, such as this. Um, you know, I begin a series in my church entitled Table Talk, and it's talking about really returning back to the table so that we can really bring families back together. What happens in, in families is that we are so divided, and so when we want to conquer a community, we can't even conquer our own homes. And so I think that we need to first start with our own families. Yes. Um, now, I noticed from back in the Yester generations, the churches were definitely influential in the civil rights movement. They have also been influential in women's lib uh, issues. 
Right now, we have a Black Lives Matter campaign going on, and also with the cops racially profiling and killing black people. How do you feel that the church needs to address those issues? The church needs to be more involved. I think that the church actually is not involved enough. Um, as you said that, you know, at the helm of, of the civil rights movements, the churches were right there. I think that because there's such division within our communities, um, there's not enough of activism coming from the church. So if we really would just mobilize and come together. I, I think that the, the efforts that we're trying, to, um, trying to, to, to come to the forefront will really be achieved if we work together. Yes. But one of the problems that we all know is that a lot of people are apprehensive about coming to the churches. What would you say to that young person who said, you know, I don't want to go to church because I can't go to church and turn up. You know, turn up is the new slogan for everything. Turn up. So what do you say to that young person that might be thinking about coming to the church, but they're scared about that life leaving out behind? You know, I think that sometimes the church kind of does people an injustice. Um, we become so narrow in terms of our belief systems that we lock our community out. Um, my motto here is that we build the people. The people build the church, and the church builds the community. We need to invite the community inside our churches so that we can um, uh, um, have that great awakening come up outside of them. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because we have so much talent, giftings out there, and it's just really being stuck because uh, people, the church is not really cultivating those gifts. So inviting them into our worship experiences and allow them to see that you are okay just as you are and let God change you. Delighted to have you here. Miss yes. McFadden, um, first off, let me say that I am deeply, deeply grateful that you could join us today because I've seen your work. I want you to tell us a little bit about what you have been doing for the community. Um, I started my career working with young people at the tender age of 21. Um, one of the things I found is that um, our communities were changing on Long Island tremendously. In 2000, I started keeping track of the loss of life because I was seeing, I was going to many more funerals of young people who were under the age of 18. Um, a murder that impacted me tremendously in Roosevelt was that of Jonathan Harris. Mm. He was gunned down in the community of Roosevelt and I had planned not to go to work that day. And my husband started putting out my clothes, saying, you're going to have to get up and go to work, because he gets up earlier than I do. And I said, I told you I wasn't going to work today. I was taking off. And he said, no, you're going to work. And he said, look at the news. And when the news came on, it said, young man gunned down in Roosevelt. So I immediately, because that was my service area, I got up immediately, got dressed. And by the time I got to Roosevelt Junior Senior High School, it was the worst scene. I still did not know who had been murdered. I just kept hearing Hova. I didn't know him at, at that name. I didn't call him at that name. I called all the children by their name. And the children were crying all over the place, and we were trying to um, get the children to calm down, uh, black versus Hispanic, and really get to the meat of what was going on. And then we left the school because many of the children started leaving Roosevelt junior, senior high school, that's what it was called at the time, and they were going to the scene. 
and I went to the scene, and as I got out of my car and started forging towards the scene, um, someone just draped over me and, and grabbed me and said, they killed our baby. And I couldn't see who it is, but I'm holding her, saying it's going to be okay. And the mother lifted her head. And other than the strength of being trained and having to hold the children up, knowing that Jonathan Harris had been shot five times, um, for no reason at all, and that we had been dealing with a gang violence outbreak, and that in our communities of Long Island, people were closing their heads saying that we are not L.A., we are not California, mm, when the right. fact was we are. Those things, trends and habits and problems travel across our country, across our world. Yeah, and absolutely. Long Island stayed very close mind to it, as it does still today. The display that I keep, I keep a record of loss of life on Long Island. I attend many funerals, even those of those that I don't know. I go out and support the families. I go to murder scenes. I go to drive-by scenes. I go to the hospital when someone's hurt because it's impacted my own home. My husband is here with me tonight, and he is he raised a young man for 10 years. His children's brother was murdered in the community of Uniondale, the murder remains unsolved. There was an arrest, and that gentleman was found not to have been the shooter and then was gunned down in the community of Hempstead himself. Wow. wow. Um, so when you look at all the names, I in my mission, and I do this, no funding, I don't ask for anything, but to support the families. When you interviewed the family of Terrence Greer, I was at the funeral of another of our former students from Uniondale who had been killed on a motorcycle on the Southern State Parkway. And I got a call from Don Ryan that a young man had indeed been murdered in Hempstead. I left that funeral and immediately went over and engaged the um, Greer family to assist. Um, so that's what I do because a lot of times people tend to sit back in our communities of color, especially, and go, Oh, that's so sad. Yes. And what did they do wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, my question to the community always is, what are you doing right? Mm -hmm. So my mission is not to let the families in these names go. I want to commend you for the service that you do to all of the families of Long Island. One of the key points that you made, and I so agree with, is that you said, a lot of people see things, but they do nothing. Why do you think that our community has gotten a spirit where they are not willing to help? They're not willing to so much go out and advocate. They want to talk about it, but they don't want to be about it. Why do you think that happens? As the pastor alluded to, me growing up right here in Hempstead, only down the block from this church, mm -hmm. um, we are the only culture whose history was stolen who was given someone else's culture and history, and we have never recaptured ourselves. And we are so um, thirsty to be like others rather than realizing how rich we are because everyone imitates us. Yes. Let me also ask you, do you think that this community is ready for change because change is inevitable and it's going to come. So do you think that the community is ready for change? I believe the community of Hempstead is ready. The community of Long Island is ready. We're now in the killing season. The weather has broken. 
the killers are coming out. We live amongst now 75, as you look at the backdrop of this um, board behind me, there are 75 unsolved murders on Long Island that I have. So we indeed could be standing next to, walking next to someone who has already killed mm -hmm. and can kill again. So I think we are ready. I wear a shirt with my first grandchild. I want my grandchild to be able to live in this world mm -hmm. without fearing a bullet taking her out just by her smile or just by the way she walks or just because she had a cell phone or just because um, you did this. I, don't, I didn't live like that. And I grew up in Hempstead. We didn't go to the funerals in the years that I went to school in Hempstead. And I graduated from Hempstead High School in 1981. Never went to a funeral of a, of a student, a peer, that was gunned down or knifed to death. How can people who are willing to join you, how can they, how can they help you and assist you? Um, by being true to it. Don't talk the game and then not be willing. Don't be afraid to reach out to mm -hmm. the people who are hurting. And that includes our young people. Stop being fearful of them because they want you to be involved. Mm -hmm. But if they know that people don't care and are going to continue to blame them for the ills of the world, then they will certainly continue to wreak havoc. And it's not just young people. We have husbands killing wives, mm -hmm. men killing women, teachers being attacked. We have this, these examples are all over the world. We just can't focus on our young people being the catalyst for violence. Well said, well said. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today. I truly thank you for the work that you are doing in our communities. And I also hope that as a community, we can come together to ensure that our next generation has a fight and change just as well as we do. So thank you for joining us, and I appreciate all of you. Well, some of the things that we have in place that the community is not aware of because of poor publicity is we have a, a junior firefighter program, so that can take kids from 8 to 15 into the department that teaches them work, work ethics. Um, we teach them, the little boys, how to be men, how to respect the women. We even have programs for the women to come in. We have nursing programs. And what the community also don't know is when you graduate high school at the age of 18, we take you in as a fireman. Wow. As long as you're a volunteer fireman, you go to any community college for free. Wow. So these are things that the community needs to know about. Awesome. And with the police department, they are... As far as the police department goes, they need to come more into the community and get out the cars and interact with the people. They should know people on their posts by name. Do we have any on-beat cops in Hampstead? No. That's what we do. The village frowns on things like that. Once again, the village residents need to start going to these village board meetings and expressing their, com their complaints. Not just the so is it only the village that can go in and talk about these things? 
Well, to speak at the Hempstead Village Board meeting, they want you to be a Hempstead resident, but do they really know if you're a resident or not? You're a concerned parent. So the bottom line, Mr. Spencer, you're saying, speak out and let your voice be heard. Be heard. Thank you, Mr. Spencer. <laughs> um, I have a question. Any more questions at the front? Yes. Hi. Come on down. Ooh, you're looking all nice. Hello. Can you tell me your name? It should be Johnson. You mean Johnson? Yes. Um, back in September, I also lost a cousin also. Um, he shared his display, Terenza Brown. Um, he was gunned down in Long Beach. And Terenza was only 27, and he had a child on the way. Um, it's just crazy. It's not really a question, but it's just crazy that, you know, we have all of these guns in these communities. Um, we have all these young kids that they just have their hands on these guns. It's like, where are these guns coming from? You know, we, we have to find, like, as parents and stuff, like, I have two teenagers, and my son is 18. I'm always in his room. I'm not really, you know, in his business, but you need to know what your kids have in their room because the person that killed him had a gun. His parents never even knew about it, you know? So I just think that as parents, we need to find out who our, who our kids' friends are. We need to know what they're doing. We need to, you know, I went to a, a parent-teacher meeting, I didn't see anybody from Hempstead that I knew. None of my friends. I didn't see anybody. Nobody. It's like nobody cares anymore. And everybody have to start caring. You know, you have to care about your child. You have to care about the child next door and stuff like that. We need to get out in this community and we need to be involved. Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of people being involved these days. Well, now that we have people like you who are spreading the word, I'm pretty sure that we will definitely start having more involvement. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Raina. Hi, Raina. Hi, my question is for Pastor Jenkins. I'd like to know, what do you think, it's safe to say that our young people are not in the church and they're not coming to the church. Is there anything that the church can do for the community outside of the church by going to the community and maybe drawing them in that way? I think you said it just right, just like that, just going out in the community, reaching out to the community, letting the community know that the church is there for you. Um, such as instances as Ms. Ms. McFadden goes out to hospitals and, and visit victims and go on and just be proactive with that. We need to touch lives. Absolutely. <laughs> I just want to touch on briefly what uh, Ms. Johnson said over there. When I was growing up, my mama said, ain't no closed doors in my house because it is my house. So I do agree that as parents, we have to be more influential and more involved in our children's lives. We need to know what is going on at all mm -hmm. times, period. I have time for one more question, and then that will be all. I have time for one more question. Yes. Hi. Can you Hi. please stand up and tell me, what's your name? Uh, my name is June Moore. Hi. And uh, I'm very interested in possibly you coming to our school, maybe for career day, yeah. and maybe talking about um, the, telling the children about the education that they could receive by being a volunteer fireman. Um, that would be so helpful. I've tried doing that myself, telling them about BOCES and how they could get two years of college for free. But I think uh, a gentleman of your stature, if you came in and maybe talked to some of the young men, um, I think it would go, you know, far beyond what I'm, what I've been able to do. 
My door is so always open. Great. My phone's always on. Anytime you need me, I'm Well, there. if you could give us a flyer or business card at the end of the session, I'd appreciate it. And with that, I just want to say, um, is there any way we could get you to come in for, we're also having a, a uh, day for the publicity, and um, maybe you could come in and talk to some of our young people about all of this and maybe we could help you present this at our school mm. and discuss it that would be so helpful absolutely no thank problem. you so much thank you. i would like to thank all of my esteemed panel guests for coming in um again your work is honorable and needed and we are very thankful to have you on the Dr. G Show. Thank you. family ties, it's tradition, it's a way of life. And the only way to preserve that way of life is to make sure that generations that follow after flourish and thrive. In order for that to happen, you have to get involved. You have to come out. It's the only way that the healing will begin. I am so glad that all of you can come with me on this journey. I love you. Thank you for watching. Tune in to your girl, Jada G. Mwah. As different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. With the holidays just around the corner, Macy's makes it easy to get your online orders fast with contact-free curbside pickup or pickup inside the store. Need it now? Try same-day delivery powered by DoorDash, available in select locations. Plus, shop early and late with extended store hours right up to the last minute. And don't forget, if you're getting your purchases delivered by mail, make sure you place your order by December 18th on Macy's.com. Some exclusions apply. Pickup and same-day delivery valid for most in-stock items at select stores only. 